Welcome to the NutraCast, a production by Nutra Ingredients USA. I'm Danielle Masterson. Thank you for joining me here on the NutraCast, where we talk and share insights from inside the nutrition industry. As popular and in-demand CBD is, there is a huge chunk of the population who can't see what the fuss is all about. Why? Because CBD products made from hemp could contain THC, a molecule that will lead to failed drug tests. But there may be an option out there after all. Bioscience company Pureform is leading the effort to make CBD accessible to all by making CBD from orange peel. Pureform's founder and chief strategy officer, Sean Jarvis, joins us now. Welcome to the NutriCast, Sean. Thanks for having me. So what exactly is Pureform Global? Pureform's a, we're a biosciences company focused on the discovery and production of pure cannabinoids, mostly in promoting wellness. So we're focused on the idea that medicinal potential for cannabinoids is vast, but we don't think that it'll be realized without a supply chain that gives people security in knowing that there isn't other contaminants, THC, neurotoxins, mycotoxins, and the such in the supply chain and then in the, in the finished product. So there's 140 cannabinoids. So we've got our work cut out for us. You know, we've got two of them in, in production and we've got another five that are close, but we've got another, you know, 130-ish that are sort of on our to-do list. Just a little to-do list there, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it seems like a never-ending one. <sighs> okay, so how did you come up with this idea for this business? You know, so I, my background's in branding and strategy. And so we started out, nobody in the company are cannabis folks. So we're all people who came from different places. You know, I, I started out because as an agency, we had these cannabis companies coming and asking us if we could do branding for them. And so we had to sort of try to understand what the category looked like, because, you know, you'd get a guy who'd walk in with a backpack and he'd open it up and, you know, there'd be a hundred thousand dollars in cash in it. He'd say, great, I want to hire you. Can I pay you in cash? So, (laughs) you know, we were sort of not alarmed, but kind of going, wow, what's happening here. And this is probably six ish years ago as an agency, we've done a lot of research. We commissioned some research, uh, two 4,000 person national surveys on trying to understand what the existing consumer and the would-be or potential consumer might think of cannabis, THC, CBD, you know, and the sort of overwhelming result for us was THC is interesting, cannabis is interesting, but not for us. CBD and the other cannabinoids got really, got us, you know, got us really excited. So we started to try to understand you know, what kind of clinical research there was out there, you know, who was doing it, what the patent landscape looked like. And, and we were actually looking just from the plant buying CBD or, or getting CBD. And, you know, it turned out that really there's, there's a major issue with the supply chain. So we sort of dropped it as an agency. And then out of nowhere, one of our clients called me one day and said, you know, hey, I, uh, I'm sorry for missing our conference call. I'm working on, you know, synthesizing some cannabinoids. And I was like, I I don't even know if I quite caught everything he said. And he said, you know, I was a chemist at Merck and Pfizer. You know, I was at all these big, these big, you know, pharma groups. And I was like, hey, where are you today? And he's like, oh, I'm in San Francisco. I was like, great, I'll be there in four hours. So I think I jumped on a plane and flew down and met him same day, you know, and we sort of put together this idea that there needed to be a reliable supply chain and a reliable source of, uh, of CBD in order for mainstream people and companies to accept it as an ingredient in wellness and uh, therapeutics. Sorry for the long-winded answer, but that's sort of probably the, the longest one you'll get from me. 
Wow. Okay. So you literally just dropped everything and you flew out there and you said, Hey, let's get this company going. Yeah. I mean, we, it was one of those things where we, 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 we got so excited about CBD and I'll just tell you why the, the thing about CBD that's exciting is this, right? So if you look at categories like alcohol, tobacco, and drug, right? Those are three categories that maybe have never seen a dip in growth. And you're talking about, I don't know if it's hundreds of billions, maybe, maybe trillions. If you add the three of those categories up, they've never been disrupted by anything ever. And then you take something like CBD, not cannabis, not hemp, not, not THC. You take just CBD and you look at the, not only the actual, but the potential for disruption in tobacco, alcohol, and drug. And this was four and a half years ago. And you're talking about something that just, it didn't have a leader. It didn't have a voice. It didn't really have even, nobody even really knew what it did, but they were wildly excited to get it and they couldn't get enough of it. So from a brander's perspective, I'm looking at it going, when's the next time you're going to be able to enter into a category where everybody kind of wants it? You know, the clinical research shows that it doesn't really have any side effects and that it works really well. And on things that are big, like inflammation, pain, anxiety, sleep, you know, stuff that's real, like world beating problems. There's all these signals that say that it works. So I'm just thinking, when is there ever going to be a moment where you can take you know, this little tiny mouse and compete with, you know, three giant gorillas. And I think that's kind of what got me so excited. And, and, and frankly, you know, my other two co-founders are two really bright guys, Mark Benchivanga on the science side. You know, I mean, he's been curating teams and working on, you know, natural product assembly and, and, and natural product chemistry forever. And so, you know, really formidable, smart guys. And so I was like, look, this is probably a, a unusual moment. We should dive right in. It's interesting because you you talk about going against tobacco, alcohol, and drugs, but you also are kind of going against CBD because it's in some ways kind of a disruptor within the CBD industry, right? Because what you're doing is you're taking a, a, a CBD that is from oranges without THC and posing a threat to traditional CBD. Sort of, you know, so funny. So I actually think instead of rather than going against alcohol, tobacco and drug, I actually think what we're really doing is, is we're, we're working with them. So for example, most every big tobacco company has made a pledge to be more socially responsible. And, and frankly, I think most of them are moving away from tobacco because mm-hmm. really tobacco is a pretty inefficient, deadly way to deliver things like nicotine, right? So I think they're really moving away, for example, with tobacco. And one of the new constituents that they'll use in their products will be cannabinoids, most likely CBD as a, as a, as a major constituent. So I think, in fact, we'd be working sort of with tobacco to be more socially responsible. And then I actually think on the alcohol side, they're going to do something very similar because, you know, if you can, if you can interrupt someone's night of drinking with a glass of water or something that doesn't have alcohol, that's sort of a socially responsible element that most alcohol companies are trying to figure out how to do without losing money. So adding in something that was a non-alcoholic part of their evening, you know, that still has the potential for sort of social lubricant, you know, I think alcohol is embracing that. And I think they sort of have to. And then on the drug side, you know, I think drug companies, frankly, you know, there's something like 180 patents with cannabinoids that are held by 
you know, Sanofi, Merck, I mean, really big pharma companies. And there's something like 280 clinical trials registered with the FDA that are cannabinoid-based clinical trials. So I think they're embracing this space as they should from a sort of low, low side effect, high potential for efficacy standpoint. And then, you know, as far as the us and hemp or us and cannabis, you know, I like to think of us as a as another resource for people wanting to use CBD, because at the end of the day, we'll never replace CBD completely because some people want their, their products from, you know, the original source. Like some people only want omega-3 from salmon, or some people only want to drive a Chevy with a gas combustion engine. So it's not that, that electric cars, for example, will replace gas combustion engines. It's that some people will want them and some people want the other. Do I think we're probably ahead of the curve? And I think that, that synthesis will be a, a bigger part of the category than it is now. Absolutely. But I don't think that we displace them as much as it would seem maybe from the outside. And, and we like to sort of be collaborative. We're a pretty open group. So I know many of the players in the hemp space and I know and respect them. I've been to major facilities for both extraction, processing, productization. So I think, I think we sort of we coincide and sort of in a way live hand in hand, hopefully. Okay. So you kind of see more of a coexistence. Yeah. I think brands are realizing that you really have to meet consumers where they are and where they want to be. And I think some consumers ideologically are attached to the idea that Mother nature made a plant and the plant is perfect and I'm going to get my medicine from that plant. And then some people aren't as attached to that and they're looking for something that maybe doesn't have a tether to, you know, to hemp or cannabis or one of these other markets. I just think there's room for all. And you're, you're talking about a category that today is, is multi-billion dollar. And when, when real consumer packaged goods companies embrace it and when real food drug mass retailers embrace it, it's in the who knows, 20, 30, $40 billion category. And at that point, there's enough room for all of us to work sort of peacefully together and, and meet the consumer where they want to be. Mm-hmm. So tell me, how do you create CBD without actually using the cannabis plant itself? Sure. Such a, it's a good question. So we use a process called a cyclic terpene assembly. So you know, terpenes are, they're found in quite a, quite a few different products, right? So terpenes come in you know, cleaning products, they're in oleo resins, you know, as, as flavors in drinks. Terpenes are sort of established and, and relatively well known as a as an ingredient, sort of food and fragrance and, and other consumer packaged goods, if you will. And so we take a naturally occurring terpene, mostly from citrus, you know, we use a process of synthesis to take that terpene and turn it into a cannabinoid, you know, and so we, we sort of start with what looks kind of like a cannabinoid, but it's a terpene. And then we use a process of synthesis to get it to a pure cannabinoid. The oranges themselves, they, they actually have about 10% of an orange is oil. And that oil isn't usable in food or beverage. It's sort of the bitter component or bitter constituent. So it's kind of, in a way, we're actually using a byproduct or a waste stream, if you will, of the, the food and, and drink part of, of citrus. And so we, we take that oil and then we get the terpenes out of that oil and then we convert that into our existing starting material, one of the two. Okay, so this sounds like it might be more sustainable than the traditional way of producing CBD. Well, you know, so that's a really good question. And 
so many people don't ask that question. It's just, it's sort of starting to come about. So a couple things to think about with sustainability, right? So the amount of biomass that it requires to create CBD from hemp is, is quite, it's, it's, it's a lot of biomass. So there's quite a bit of water and other, even if they're natural, insecticides, rodenticides, pesticides, et cetera, and soil erosion and things. So I think there's quite a bit of unstudied impact on cultivating hemp or, you know, hybridized cannabis for the production of CBD. And there's research coming out now, you know, we don't have ours fully finished, but, you know, you're looking at something like five or 600 times the CO2 emissions if you're growing something indoor or in, in a sort of a light deprivation. So in an enclosed area, you're looking at something like 70 to 120 times more CO2 emissions if you're growing something outdoor versus synthesis. So I think there'll be quite a few advantages to using synthesis and maybe not to leave this out, but you know, in the next 50 years, the world has to produce something like 50% more calories to feed people. So the idea that you would grow something that can be synthesized, you certainly wouldn't want to synthesize lettuce or tomatoes or, you know, things that, that you could grow that people would find sort of nutritious versus something as a sort of an ingredient, right? So I think there's a whole bunch of different factors that play in, but we think that in the end, traditional synthesis will be the most efficient and friendly on the environment versus biosynthesis, you know, which is sort of genetically modifying microorganisms and or manufacturing, you know, using hemp or cannabis sort of traditional. Okay. And then just looking at how effective it is, I mean, does this offer the same benefits as something that is not synthetic? Sure. Yeah. So, so the molecule is the molecule, right? So in a way, if you, for example, were to give, if you were to buy CBD from whoever you wanted to buy it from, from 10 different companies, and you were to send our CBD in blind with that CBD under any version of test, whether it's mass spec, gas chromatography, you know, however you want to think about testing it in vivo, in vitro, there's no way you could tell the difference between our CBD and anyone else's CBD other than we don't have any of the impurities like humic acid. We don't have any mycotoxins, none of the sort of fungus mold, et cetera. Um, and, you know, we don't have any sort of toxic neurotoxins. The only difference is we'd be more pure. So from an, from an efficacy standpoint and a sort of function and bioavailability, there's really no way to tell the difference between ours and theirs. Certainly, we could sort of continue to, to study it further, but to date, we haven't found any way to, to sort of separate ours from others. Okay. And then in terms of, you mentioned contamination, so there's no contamination and there's no THC, right? Correct. So the the really super technical answer, if if Mark or Travis, our science guys were on this call, they would tell you that there's no way to prove there's no nothing, right? You can continue to test and drill down further and further and further. And there isn't a way to say that nothing exists. So it's, it's kind of complex, but we've tested down to the parts per billion, We've gone as, as far as we can, and we don't have THC present in our process. So nothing that goes into the process has THC. And so we don't have THC in our end product rather than, you know, when you're doing biosynthesis or hemp and cannabis, you know, THC is a part of the process. So it needs to be purified out. Um, so we don't have that kind of problem, but we've demonstrated down to, you know, we've done inhuman drug screening tests to prove that our material doesn't have THC. And then we've obviously tested it as far as we could get instrumentation and sort of validated methods to show that we don't have THC. Okay. 
So who's interested in this? I mean, I imagine, you know, maybe law enforcement, people who get drug tested, athletes, people along those lines. You know, I would love to say that was the case. I don't actually think that enough people are aware that you can have the benefits of CBD without the, you know, without THC and without hemp and without cannabis. So, so today, mostly the people that are interested are pharmaceutical companies, people doing, you know, research, trying to understand what CBD does in the body. Some larger consumer packaged goods companies are interested. And as far as their testing R&D and sort of formulation, a lot of people outside of the U.S. where there's sensitivities, like really high sensitivities to THC are very interested. I think there's still a big challenge to educate people that there's an option, right? I mean, like, for example, the amount of children with anxiety or sleep issues or all kinds of inflammation issues that could benefit potentially from healthcare practitioners and doctors recommending things like CBD, it's vast. And, but I think most of them don't know that there's an option that would guarantee that they, they sort of get what they, what they say they're going to get and that, that they don't have THC exposure. So I think we probably have a lot more work to educate people on, you know, that this exists. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because I've been writing about CBD for a few years now, and I just learned about this technology a few days ago when I contacted you. So it's funny when you say that, because I go and I, part of me is like, oh man. And then the other part of me is like, you know, we, we as a company decided to take the high road and do the hard work that's not really exciting and flashy by making sure that we have a reliable supply chain, making sure that we have validated methods, making sure that we can actually deliver what we say we're going to deliver. And if you've been in the CBD business long enough, you know, and you understand this, that's probably no one else does that, right? So everybody else is putting out press releases. And, you know, I think we've done officially two press releases and most of those were sort of for the benefit of our shareholders. You know, we just, we've, we've sort of tried to make sure we could deliver on our promise before we went out and made promises. And so I think now we're really ready. We're at commercial scale. We can produce three plus metric tons a month of CBD. And we've got a facility in the US we can produce at and a facility in the UK we can produce at. So, you know, we've landed, we can do it. And now the challenge will be, how do we tell people about it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You mentioned you developed the global capacity to produce your CBD in commercial quantities. I imagine it's a lot easier for you to sell in other countries versus, you know, the traditional CBD, right? And, and how do you explain that to other countries? I mean, is it, is it hard for them to understand when you tell them there's no THC in this? So it is and it isn't. I mean, it's funny. Once we find, I mean, most of our relationships in other countries are through partners or trading companies, you know, people who have uh, sort of boots on the ground, if you will, because, you know, language barriers and other things can be sort of challenging. So we get sort of open arms in a way, you know, from countries like Japan and other places, because once they realize that they can actually look at our process, it's all documented through GMP, through sort of a pretty sophisticated documentation. They can see everything that goes into our product. They can see the actual process, and then they can see validated test results from 30, 40, however many labs and their own internal labs. So I think we actually give most countries a high degree of confidence that we're a good fit if they're looking for something that doesn't have the risk of THC and, and cannabis. Mm-hmm. And so we've been talking obviously a lot about CBD, but what about other nature identical cannabinoid compounds? Sure. So, so CBD, funny enough, it's really our proof of concept. It's the most difficult molecule to compete with in the sense that if you look at a cannabis plant, the most efficient for something like THC, let's say is in the 35% range. The most efficient for something like CBD is maybe in the 
15, maybe it's even better now, let's say 15 to 20% range. And then if you take all of the other cannabinoids combined, you're looking at less than 1%. So CBD and THC are wildly competitive on price and on availability, et cetera. But the other 140 or 130-ish of the 140 are either non-existent in the plant to a degree that you could sort of extract them and use them, or they convert during the plant's growth process. So the sort of big potential and prize, frankly, is, is what you're talking about, which are these other cannabinoids. You know, when you look at something like THCV, which is non-psychoactive, it's got some interesting early research in regards to appetite suppression. And if you think about diabetes and weight loss and these other things that are, again, massive problems in the US, that's a pretty compelling molecule. You look at something like CBN, which has some pretty exciting early signals that it's an analgesic, you know, that it could actually work for helping people sleep as well. You look at something like CBC and CBG and CBGA. These are all molecules that have incredible potential. And I, and I always like to say it's impossible to deny the anecdotal evidence of cannabis, right? So I've known too many people that have been helped by cannabis to say that there's not something happening there, right? So when I say that though, I guess what I'm saying is there's something like, let's say there's 20,000 strains of cannabis and you take a given strain of cannabis and it's got, you know, 400 different compounds in it, right? 400 different, you know, flavonoids, terpenoids or terpenes and cannabinoids. And there's a, there's a ratio of those where Maybe there's none of one or a lot of another. And so you've got this, this blend of things that maybe in some perfect synergistic way is great in one harvest, but maybe it's non-existent in the next harvest. So I think the, the medicinal potential is so compelling and exciting, but it's got to be in a way that's, that there's a, a way to blend these ratios back together in a consistent way so that somebody's receiving the same thing every time. Yeah, because that's a big concern for a lot of people. They find strains that they like and they can't find it again. So what you're aiming to do is just be more consistent. I think that's right. And I think, and, and back to the idea of whether we're working with or against the hemp or cannabis businesses, really in that sense, we'd be working with them because for example, if there's a, if there's a hemp-based CBD company and they want to do a, a CBD, CBN, CBG, THCV combination, but they can't get enough of that material, we'd love to sell them those other molecules so that they can make a blended version of the product that's consistent that they could sell and sort of, you know, they could create sort of a loyalty from consumers with. When you compare the traditional versus the more synthetic, I mean, what's the cost difference? Is it more cost efficient for you to do it or for them to grow it? Something like CBD, it's hard to tell today because there's sort of a, I think there's an artificial glut in the price of CBD because so much was grown so quickly last year. So I don't know where it all sort of, you know, where it planes out, but we're, we're considerably more expensive than CBD from hemp. And that also comes with the caveat that we don't really get any other samples or, or, or versions of hemp that we can test that has the purity that ours has. So I think if you go purity for purity, I think we're still more expensive, but we're not multiple times more expensive. Whereas we are multiple times more expensive than CBD from hemp that's not pure, that's got other impurities and, and THC and such in it. Mm -hmm. But you know, that said, if you're looking at a product like a 12 ounce can of sparkling water with CBD in it, the difference between paying three cents or 12 cents with something that 
that sells for $3, it's pretty negligible. So there's not a lot, you know, I don't think that input cost is a deterrent when it comes to consumer packaged goods. And certainly it's not in the, in the pharmaceutical space because they'll need that kind of purity. And one of the other things that we're sort of pretty sure of is that, you know, if you look at brands like Coke or all the Unilever brands or Johnson & Johnson, you're talking about the actual brand. For example, Coke, it's worth tens or hundreds of billions of dollars just for the brand, not the actual product. So, mm -hmm. so the idea that they're going to put a cannabis or hemp leaf on that brand, that all American or that those brands that have centuries, decades of, of, of consumer loyalty, we just don't really think that's going to happen. And, and further, we probably don't think that, you know, that these companies are necessarily going to rely on the supply chain that's as inconsistent as it is with, with hemp and cannabis derived cannabinoids. So I think on the early side, we, we may not be the best fit for small companies that don't have a lot to lose. But I think on the longer term side, I can't imagine big companies that have decades invested and in, in hundreds of billions of dollars at stake in their brand are, are going to want to risk a lower cost alternative, given what those risks are, you know, controlled substances and whatnot. Yeah. We're already seeing actually quite a few big brands step into the CBD category. We sort of are, but not 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 quite yet. I mean, I, I'm I'm waiting for when Johnson and Johnson. I mean, when these big brands come in, that's when this starts to get interesting because you know you've got to you've got to educate people and you've got to replace one habit for another, right? You know, to introduce a new toothpaste is really difficult to do unless you can get it in front of people, or you know, to introduce these new products. I, I just I think that's the business and the expertise of really big CPG companies. And we're excited for them to get in the space, you know, and, and sort of hopeful, like when a Coke or somebody comes in, they've got such a, a masterful way of distributing products that I think when you start to enter CBD and into those streams, that's when it starts to become a real category. And that's when it starts to become a real channel. And that's when things start to really get exciting. Yeah. I'm excited to see where everything goes with your company. And before I let you go, uh, do you have any research updates, things like that, that you can tell me about? Right now, we just got entered into, well, a product with our CBD just got entered into what we think is one of the largest studies of CBD to date. It's, there's 13 products being tested. You know, I want to say it's, it's over 2,000 participants. So that's exciting. You know, we don't have data back on that yet, but that's probably in the next 90 days. We've got our novel foods validated in the EU. We're close to Japan. We're sort of excited because the real sort of rubber will meet the road, if you will, when these big companies start to start to invest more in understanding bioavailability, dissolution rates, dosage, delivery systems. You know, that, that's sort of what we're excited about. I'm excited to see where this all goes, because I think, you know, this is definitely going to disrupt the industry. We hope in a good way. You know, we hope we can be the catalyst for bringing CBD to the sort of forefront and we can get people excited about making it part of their, you know, sort of wellness regime and, uh, and seeing if there's some new stuff that helps people. All right. Well, we'll be keeping our eyes out for that. Pureform Global's founder and chief strategy officer, Sean Jarvis. Thank you so much for coming on the NutriCast today. Thanks a lot for having me. If you like what you just heard, you can subscribe to the NutraCast wherever you get your podcast. You can also head to NutraIngredients-USA.com for even more Nutra-related content. Thank you for listening. I'm Danielle Masterson. As always, I'll catch you here on the NutraCast next week.